Before I preach, let us uh, ask the Lord for blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you, we ask you to bless our time and fellowship this evening by your word and by your truth. When I expound the scriptures, may the shepherd's voice be heard by the sheep. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians chapter 1, this is the word of God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full, with full conviction. You know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord's of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Does a healthy church exist? That was the first, that was the thought, thought that, that jumped in my mind when I first looked at the cover of Mark Dam's book called uh, What is a Healthy Church? With my experience of joining a few churches in the past, my, conclu my conclusion was a healthy church does not exist. Or even if it exists, it, it would be like families. Some couples argue less than others. Without further explanation, you can easily see that I was using inductive reasoning. My inductive reasoning goes like this. If I have never experienced a healthy church, then a healthy church does not exist. Apparently, the way to change my mind is to let, my, let me experience a healthy church. Praise the Lord, that is exactly what I have experienced since 2019. The experience of joining a few healthy churches during and after my seminary studies completely changed my mind. A perfect church does not exist in this world, but a healthy church may exist. Just like there is no perfect plant, so to speak, but there are healthy plants that we can eat for food. There is no perfect man or woman, but there are healthy men and women. This evening, I would like to invite you to pay attention to example of a healthy church in the first century recorded in this passage 
that I just read. Moreover, it is not, a, not only a healthy church, it is also a model church that many people believe. This is, the, this is the, one of the examples that scriptures give to us so that we may imitate them. This is the church in Thess- Thessalonica. I will not give you nine marks of a healthy church this evening. And I will also not elucidate the, the three marks of a true church, preaching, sacraments, and discipline, which are often mentioned by the Presbyterian churches. The only thing that I will emphasize is the three marks or three Christian virtues that we can see in this passage. They are faith, love, and hope. The main theme of the sermon is a healthy church is a church that is striving for growing in faith, love, and hope. Let me repeat it one more time. A healthy church is a church that striving, strives for growing in faith, love, and hope towards Christ. I will walk you through the text. Then I will focus on these three points. Two applications will be given in the end. First, let us look at verse 2. We give thanks to God. So if we go back to verse 1, we will see we refers to Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. You may, you may say, I know who Paul and Timothy are, but who is Silvanus? Silvanus is a Latinized Greek name for Silas. Acts 15 tells us Silas was the person that Paul chose for his mission team after Paul split with the Barnabas. If you continue to read Acts 16 and 17, Silas was a very important co-worker for Paul. And you see his name appeared in this letter after Paul, but before Timothy. As one of the commentators says, we should think of Silvanus not as an underling of Paul like Timothy, but as a respected colleague, almost the equal of Paul himself. Considering what it feels like if J.I. Packer, R.C. Sproul, and Francis Schaeffer all wrote a letter to URC and say, we give thanks to God always, always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. But remember, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are not what we today so-called the pastoral team or church planter team. These are the pillars of the church at that time. They are all apostle-level figures. If you want to say this is an apostolic team, so why did they all write a letter to the church in Thessalonica? If you look at verse 6, it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. So what happened? If you turn to Acts 17, it tells us that Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica and Paul preached the death and resurrection of Christ on three Sabbath days. Some Jews, many Greeks, and not a few of the leading women were persuaded and believed in the city of Thessalonica. But soon Paul and the Thessalonian church experienced opposition from a group of mobs. 
And the mob's accusation of Paul and Silas were, these men who have turned the world upside down, in ESV translation. Brothers and sisters, isn't it the best compliment that we can hear from non-believers? You know, in church history, there are, there are so many governments that have persecuted Christians. The fascinating thing is most of those governments accuse Christians are political subversives in their, in their societies. Because Christians believe Jesus is the king, they are the men who have turned the world upside down. You can see what a harvest that Paul and Silas had in the church of Thessalonica. Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote the letter because the church in Thessalonians was a persecuted church. But more than that, verse 6 shows us that they received the word in much affliction, but with the, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The church of Thessalonians survived the persecution. And we see in verse 2, Paul says, we give thanks to God always and for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. What Paul says here is when we mention you, we always give, give thanks to God. And the reason they mention the church of the Thessalonians is in verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a key verse because my argument is the following texts from verse 4 to verse 10 are the illustrations of verse 3. We can see the three Christian virtues are mentioned here in verse 3. Faith, love, and hope. Christians, are, we are all familiar with these three virtues. When we think of faith, love, and hope, we probably think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But the first letter Paul wrote in the New Testament actually is 1 Thessalonians. So this is the first time Paul mentioned it these three Christian virtues. Speaking of a church rather than an individual Christian. And it, and it is interesting that we see Paul does not merely say that we remember you because you have faith, love, and hope. But he is using three nouns to modify, modify them. The work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. However, in NIV translation, it even translates your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. In other words, faith, love, and hope are not just the three abstract concepts. They can be seen from all sides. The face of the church of the Thessalonians has been seen from their work. The love of the church of the Thessalonians has been seen from their labor. And the hope of the church of the Thessalonians has been seen from their endurance or steadfastness. First, what is their object of faith and 
What kind of work has their faith produced? Verse 8 tells us that their faith is in God. Furthermore, verse 9 says that they turn to the living and true God from idols. At that time, the population in Thessalonica, most were Greeks, some Italians, some Jews. So we would say the majority of the people in Thessalonica were Gentiles. And at that time, Gentiles worshiped mighty God. However, when we say the church in the West is going to a post-Christianity future, the question that needs to be reflected by all believers is, what are the idols in Western society? What are some cultural challenges to the church right now? Can we maintain purity and as a church, does the church still hear the, hear the word of God being preached from the pulpit? Or does our church turn from the living and true God to idols? To anchor faith in the living and true God is the first lesson that the church of the Thessalonians has taught us. And we, and we can see the result of their faith is they imitated Paul, Silas, and Timothy to do the gospel work, as we have seen in verse 6. Second, what is their object of love, and what kind of labor has their love prompted? In verse 8, their object of love is still in the living and true God, and they express their love through their service. Verse 7, so, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. Thessalonica is a key place to go to Achaia, one of the provinces of the Roman, Roman Empire. Think of this. Thessalonica of Macedonia is like Lansing of Michigan. They are all capital cities and the key places in their areas. You cannot go down to Corinth from Philippi without passing Thessalonica, just like you cannot go to Grand Rapids or down to Kalamazoo from Detroit without passing Lansing. News from Michigan can quickly spread to Indiana or Ohio, so as Macedonia to Achaia. What we see here was the church of the Thessalonians loved God, loved his word, and this love prompted them to love spreading his word. Today, many so-called evangelical churches do not evangelize anymore. Isn't it ironic? We say we love God, and we say we love his word, but without spreading his word. You are serious. What we can do to, sp to spread God's word in East Lansing, Lansing, Michigan, or even in a larger range? This is something that we all can pray for and labor in. So the second lesson that the Church of the Thessalonians has taught us is to love God is to love his word and love spreading his word. Third, 
what is their object of hope and what kind of endurance has their hope inspired? The answer is in verse 10, which says they, they wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the secret of how they endured the persecution. They waited for Jesus to come. While they suffered on the earth, their mind was in heaven with Jesus. They believed that Jesus was sitting on the throne as the king when they were persecuted. And they hoped he, could, he would come quickly. The, uh, the effect of that was they received joy with afflictions. Brothers and sisters, I often hear people say that the churches in the West have more freedom than the churches in the East. So the persecution of church, of the church, seems will never happen here. But as a foreigner, or official name is a non-permanent resident, I want to share a couple of thoughts. First, there are some false hopes when the churches in the West suffer, such as people looking, looking for hope in politics, science, technology, or family. I want to be fire. All these are good things, but they just cannot be the ultimate hope for the church. Second, if the church in the West does not feel suffer in some way, probably because we are becoming more and more compromised to the mainstream culture. Once we want to speak to some of the cultural challenges, the persecution will come to the brothers and sisters in the West sooner or later. I wish at that time we all learned the third lesson that the Thessalonians have taught us, which is the true hope in Christ will give the church endurance and joy in persecutions. All, all these three points lead to the, to the theme, a healthy church is a church that strives for growing in faith, love, and hope towards God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the faith in the living and true God can motivate us to do gospel work. The love in the living and true God can prompt us to labor in evangelism. And the true hope in Christ can give us endurance and joy. These are the three marks of a healthy church that we all can learn from the church of the Thessalonians. Two applications. First, church life is life together. A church, a church like a man has his character. A church can have some DNA from his senior pastor. But a church cannot be represented by his minister. In the U.S., people get excited when we talk about our pastors, especially in the reform circle. We are proud to say, I go to A's church or B's church. It seems like A or B's faith and character represent the church's faith and character. However, the church's faith and character are manifested by all its members. 
when we say a healthy church is a church that strives for growing in faith, love, and hope, it requires all of us to come along side by side to achieve the goal. JFK's aphorism can also apply to church life. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Second, before the church strives for growing in faith, love, and hope, each of us has to pursue them first on our own. Von Hover in his book, Life Together, says, every member serves the whole body, either to its health or to its destruction. Brothers and sisters, I hope all of you have been encouraged and challenged by this sermon. And I do not preach the sermon as I have already gained those Christian virtues. I'm far from it. But by God's grace, let us all strive for these three Christian virtues as an individual and as a church. Let us pray. Father, thanks for giving us an example of a healthy church in the Bible so that we can imitate them because they imitated you. Let our church's character become more and more like Christ. May you sanctify your church for our benefits and for your own glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.